Good morning. My name is uh, Adam, and we're going to continue and, and finish up the series of um, Jonah today. And, and I don't know about you, but as you read through the book of Jonah, as we've been walking through this series and looked at, at, at every chapter, I don't know if you've ever had the moment, but when you're, when you're thinking like, how could Jonah be so stupid, right? Like, what in the world are you doing? Like, you're, you're a prophet of God. And then almost immediately after, I think that God does a little knocking on my head and is like, yeah, it would be stupid for somebody to be like that, wouldn't it, Adam? <laughs> like, oh, message received, I get it. Um, <clears throat> but we are, we're, we're here and we're dealing in a little bit of the uncomfortable. What happens when God calls you into uncomfortable scenarios? How do you respond when you feel a nudge by God or given a direction by God as Jonah was to go somewhere that you don't want to go? Because Jonah got told, go to Nineveh, and he was like, no, I'm not going to do it. Like, you want me to go right, but I'm going to go left right now. And I've been in that scenario. I've been in that exact scenario many times in my life. Sometimes I've failed. Sometimes I've made up for it. More often than not, I, I get this weight that, that weighs on me. And so one time when I was an intern at the, the First Church of Christ in Xenia, um, I was getting ready for an overnighter. And the overnighter was all about Matthew 5.16, let your good deeds shine before men, you know, like help people in need, all that. I went to Taco Bell to get food. And for some unknown reason, most of my God stories involve Taco Bell food. It's maybe like the Holy Spirit needs to intervene in that moment or something, but that's just where I am. And so I went to get Taco Bell, and I was driving back. And I don't know if you know much about Xenia, but there's not a huge homeless population in Xenia, Ohio, but there happened to be somebody that was begging for food that day. Like he was hungry, had a sign, said hungry, you know, anything will help. And so I had my Taco Bell. I didn't have any more money because I spent my last $5 on Taco Bell. And I was driving back to the church, and I passed him. I thought, like, oh, I don't have any money, you know. And so I went back to the church, and I was getting ready for the overnighter about helping people. And that's when it hit me about, you know, 10 minutes too late. Like, hey, you have food. And I looked at the bag of Taco Bell, and I was like, oh, okay. There's going to be pizza here later. Like, it's whatever. I'll go back. And so I had to do the very uncomfortable scenario where I packed my chicken quesadilla and two hard tacos or something like that back into my car, drive back down the street, find this guy and say, hey, I don't have any money, but I do have food. You say you're hungry. Here you go. And he looked at the Taco Bell bag and he said, what's in there? And I said, I don't know, whatever my order was. And he said, no, thank you. I was like, oh, okay. And I had to tuck my tail between my legs and walk away. That was uncomfortable. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but it was embarrassing to say the least. And so I walked back, and I enjoyed my chicken quesadilla or whatever it was. But God called me to do this uncomfortable things, and sometimes obedience into the discomfort is all that is required. Other times, something's going to happen there that you don't expect, and Jonah finds himself in that situation Jonah has been told, go to Nineveh. He says, no. God says, we'll see. Swallowed, you know, thrown off a boat, swallowed by a fish, plops down in the right city, gets there, and then in chapter 3, he has to preach to the Ninevites. And so he goes through and he preaches to the Ninevites, 
and he does his best prophetic preaching. I mean, he's doing it. He's telling them that if you don't turn from your wicked ways, destruction will come on this city. And he's probably really hammering in on the destruction part because he was happy about the destruction of Nineveh. And then in chapter three, in verse 10 of chapter 3, this is what it says. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. And it turns out to be this incredible story of grace and restoration for the 120,000 people that are in the city of Nineveh. Because God is loving. He's always been loving. He's never not loving. He's for us. And it's amazing. And I hope that we're constantly amazed by the amazing grace of God. Because the tendency at least in my life, I don't know if it's for you too, the tendency is to get comfortable with grace. Where it becomes like, yeah, of course Jesus saved me from all my sins. Like, of course he did. That was so long ago. Of course I deserved the grace. And anytime you start to insert the, but I was just this, and these other people, like, they're, I don't know if they start to deserve grace, because that would be really amazing grace. If these people were saved, that would be unbelievable grace. The grace that I was afforded, eh, I mean, it was a lot, but not as much as it would take for these people to be saved. And it can just become average grace. We can start to lessen how amazing that grace can be in our own perception, because we start to exclude people from what God could do. Or maybe you just don't want those people to be saved. Maybe you wish God would bring some destruction and calamity and justice on these people because they deserve it. You deserve grace, but they deserve justice. And it's in that spot after God has saved a city that will pick up in Jonah chapter 4. But will you pray with me before we begin? God, we pray that ultimately today your truth would stand, that everything else would fall away, and that we would be compelled to live more and more like you, that we would understand more about your character because we spent time in your word, that we would understand more about our role in your mission because we spent time in your word. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so Jonah, being a prophet of God, knew all about God's grace. He had, by the way, been a recipient of God's grace by being redirected from his fleeing, his direct disobedience, being swallowed up by a fish, and being plopped right where he was intended to go anyway. That was an act of grace by God, because had he successfully disobeyed, worse things would have happened, and God intervened and gave him grace and put him in the spot where he was supposed to be and he fulfilled that mission and then Jonah preaches and succeeds He's a, the, the people of Nineveh turn from their evil ways you could count that as a, as a success but as we pick up in Jonah 4 1 Jonah's not so happy and so we'll read Jonah 1 4 1 through 4 it says this Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious he prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. 
I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah is asked a question by God that I think that we should ask of ourselves from time to time. And as we look at this passage, we're going to ask two questions of ourselves and then come around one really simple point but really difficult point to live out as we get toward the end. And the first question that we need to ask ourselves is, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah wanted Nineveh destroyed. They deserved it. They deserved it because they were evil. They deserved it because they had done terrible, terrible things. They had earned the reputation of being enemies with God, and they had rightly earned the reputation of being enemies with God. And some scholars think that the Assyrians, of whom Nineveh were, were Assyrians, that the Assyrians killed Jonah's parents. And so Jonah goes to this city, and the only thing that he can think will bring him solace is the fact that he's going to preach destruction to these people, and then they will be destroyed by a righteous and just God. Because he had a personal interest in seeing these people destroyed because he hated them. I mean, he hated them with a passion. I don't know if anybody would admit it in here today, but is there anybody that you hate? Like you just think about it and it's just, just bubbling over. You wish destruction on them. That's where Jonah finds himself. Sometimes we have more of a simmering anger. It's just like, I don't like that person. If they ever walked up on me in the wrong way, they might catch the right end of my fist. You know, like that's the kind of anger. But we don't hate people so often. Jonah hated the Ninevites. Because they were Ninevites. And he wanted them to be destroyed. And he knew. He knew what would happen because he knew God intimately. He knew that if he went and he talked about God having a better way, God being a gracious and steadfast father, one that flees from sin and calamity, that these Ninevites would finally see the errors of the, their way and they would turn from what they were doing and they would repent and be saved by God. And he didn't want that. Turns out that Jonah wasn't afraid of being uh, made fun of when he got to Nineveh. He wasn't afraid of even being persecuted when he got to Nineveh. He wasn't afraid of losing his life. He was afraid that these people, when he got there, would be saved. And this is about the time when I think, like, Jonah, how could you be so stupid? You're supposed to preach God's word and talk about his grace and his mercy and his abounding love and his desire to be for us and to restore us and to reconcile us. How could you be so dumb? And then God says, yeah, Adam. And I'm like, ah. Because forgiveness, grace that we have to participate in sometimes with God because this person needs forgiven, and I don't really want them to be forgiven, but God wants them to be forgiven, and so I have to participate in that is really, really difficult. It's really complicated because Jonah's parents were killed by these people. He wanted them destroyed. There's a clip that went viral this past week, and it's uh, of a, a young man, Brant Jean, who was talking about um, who was talking to the woman that was convicted of murdering his brother 
just this past week, and I was talking about this, and there's a lot of stuff that goes around this clip, but look at the decision that, that Brant made in this clip when he was given the opportunity to talk to the woman that murdered his brother. If only we could all have his mentality, his perspective in that scenario. Because he's right to be angry. Is it right for you to be angry? Absolutely it's right for you to be angry. Is it right for you to be upset? Absolutely it's right for you to be upset. But he chose in a moment to see a person. Even with this, with the with what surrounds this clip and any unfairness and inequality when it comes to the judicial system and the sentence that she got, he chose, he chose to look and see the person. And as he continues to talk about more fairness in the judicial system, he was able to see this woman and say, I forgive you and I want what's best for you. And what's best for you is that you would know who Jesus is. And from that place, he'll get to talk about a lack of fairness. From that place, he might get to talk about systemic issues. From that place, he might get to talk about other things from that platform. But he saw the individual, and he knew that the individual needed grace. This is complicated. Unbelievably complicated. Because is it right for him to be angry? Yes. Anger is a response to injustice, and this was injustice defined. But he asked himself that question, and he saw her. Unbelievable. If only we could have his courage. If only we could see somebody that we should see with spite and see them instead through God's grace and God's forgiveness. Is it right for people to still be upset about what happened? Maybe. Yes. But can we ask for a second, what should we be upset about? What should we be angry about? Can we afford to forgive an individual? Can we see the individual? This man saw woman as a daughter of God desperately in need of his forgiveness and his grace. Unbelievable. Jonah couldn't see the people of Nineveh. He only saw Ninevites. And he hated Ninevites. He couldn't see the mothers and the fathers, the sons and the daughters in that city. He only saw 
Ninevites, and he painted them with a broad brush of the evil that their reputation had afforded them, and he couldn't see the individuals in desperate need of God's redemption and his salvation. He only saw Ninevites, and the Ninevites deserved God's justice. But God wanted to restore them. He couldn't see the individuals in front of him because he had hatred for those people. And I don't know if there are any those people in your life, but this is directly showing us there there shouldn't be. We should see people who need God's grace. Jonah reminds me of me at my absolute worst when I'm blown away by the grace given to me. But I think that the amazing and unfettered grace that God has shown me should stop at the borders of my comfort, should stop at the uh, the borders of the people that I feel comfortable going to. When I begin to think that I have a firm grasp on who does and who does not deserve God's amazing grace, I need to be reminded of my absolute ineptitude when it comes to being judge, jury, and executioner of justice in the world. Because sometimes I can't go to the grocery store and get everything I need without a list, and so maybe I should cool it on judging whether somebody or somebody doesn't deserve God's grace. But Jonah can't see past Ninevites. And so here we are in the story, and Jonah is still mad. Pick up in verse 5, and it says, Jonah left the city, and he made, and he found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there, and he sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. And so Jonah goes, and he camps out, because he's just sure. He's 100% sure that he's going to have a front row seat to the eventual destruction of the evil Ninevites, because these Ninevites, they won't change their mind forever. They can't possibly really be restored. And I'm going to watch when they are destroyed, because they're going to mess up. Ninevites always mess up. They will, and so I'm going to watch out here in the desert, and no, by the way, his skin has been eaten with stomach acid from a giant fish, and he had no more hair, and so sitting in the desert, not the wisest move for Jonah, but he found a plant. Verse 6 says this, then the Lord God appointed a plant to grow over Jonah and provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. This is one of the only times in this whole story that Jonah was greatly pleased, and it's about a plant in the desert. Anyways. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked the plant, and it withered. The sun was rising. God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it is right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. In this desert, it can get pretty hot. And like I said, pale skinned now Jonah says his skin had been bleached. And sitting in the sun of the desert, just being beaten. And then there's this plant. There are plants that are indigenous to the area that can grow eight to ten feet in a matter of days, and they have huge leaves, and so these huge leaves would have afforded him some shade. And he thought, nice. Not only am I going to see the destruction of the Ninevites, but I'm going to be pretty comfortable while I do it, and I don't have to worry about sunscreen because I got this shade. That's great. And so he's comfortable. And then the plant dies. And Jonah is very upset again. Wants to die. Is it right for you to be upset about the plant? It is right. I had a plant with shade. Jonah loved the plant. It was his source of comfort and it just got wiped out. 
Which brings us to our second question. Where is comfort blinding you from God's mission? Where is comfort blinding you from God's mission? Is it possible that our comfort becomes more important to us than what God wants through us? We'd like to see people come to know Jesus, but they can be kind of annoying. So, I, you know, I'll go with the people that I can really connect with, right? Like, be all things to all people. I can be all things to this person, whatever. And we just stay in our comfort zone. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis paints a picture of what hell is like. And I read the book years back, but this picture stays with me because it haunts me to this day. And he paints this picture talking about hell of a place where it's constantly gray and rainy and dark. It rains inside and out. And neighbors, and this is the part that haunts me, neighbors continue moving further and further away from each other, making the borders of the city wider and wider, but they get no closer to each other ever. And now C.S. Lewis isn't trying to paint a picture of what hell is like in actuality. What he's trying to do is to show us that the opposite of God's heart for us as people is to flee from one another, is to build borders between one another, is to separate outward further and further from community. What God wants for us is to be drawn into places with people who are dissimilar to us, and from that place we can become a place that speaks of the reconciliation and the redemption of God because we are all together, not just with people who are like us, but with people who have been saved just like us. And there's a big difference, not just with people that we're comfortable sitting around, but with people who are united under the banner of God's unending grace, of his amazing grace. The thing that we have in common is I am a sinner, you, and, you are a sinner, and Jesus brought us into this place to be restored. That's the thing that holds us together. Not our likes or our dislikes, not our socioeconomic status or our race, not our age, not our gender. The thing that unites us is Jesus, and all people can fit united under the banner of the cross. And if our comfort is excluding anyone, or if our discomfort with somebody else or some other person or the Ninevites or those people, if our comfort or discomfort with those people is leaving anybody out, we are doing the opposite of what God has called us to. Because the cross leaves no exclusions. Everybody's invited to submit to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The cross leaves nobody out. And it takes courage. It takes comfort with being uncomfortable. And again, I don't think this is something you would admit out loud, but maybe we should be more willing to admit this out loud. If there's anybody that you're thinking of when you think of those people or that person, that person, and maybe I just need to say, who's that person in your life? And you're like, I know who that person is. For sure I know who that person is. They sit next to me at work, and it makes work miserable for me. That person too. Especially when you're uncomfortable. Because Jesus wants everybody united and everybody to talk to and everybody to hear about what God has done for them and the grace that Jesus has given them. And we're sitting and we're like, yeah, but it's shady under this plant. It's hot out there. You don't really want me to step into the sun, right? That could be dangerous. Or this job. This, I mean, I know this job isn't all that you have for me, but it gives me a steady paycheck of which I tithe from God. So really... I'm thinking about you when I stay in this job that you're not calling me to. 
or this relationship. I know it's a little bit broken, but ah, I know it's not really bad for me, but where is our comfort blinding us from God's mission? We believe, we can easily believe that God wants everybody to hear about what Jesus has done for them. Sometimes we have a hard time going to everybody. And so let's finish the chapter in in Jonah 4, uh, 10 through 11. It says this. So the Lord God said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in the night and it perished in the night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? Should I not care about all these people that I created to be my sons and my daughters? You're upset and want to die because a plant has died. What if all these people go to their destruction? How upset should I be, God is saying. I want for all people to be under my rule and reign and to have what I have for them. I want all people to experience the amazing grace of my son. You don't get to put barriers around that. I will send you where I send you. And you need to say, yes, okay, here I go. I know it's uncomfortable. Okay, I'll follow you, God. This is why John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I think that not often enough do we read verse 17 or memorize verse 17 or let verse 17 send us on our way. For God did not send send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Which brings us to our last point. So simple to understand. I mean, you probably learned it in children's church, VBS, whatever. This is the point. God cares about all people, whether we like it or not. God cares about all people, whether we like it or not. We don't get to decide who God loves and who God wants to restore. We don't get to decide who gets left out and who gets invited in. We just get to say, oh, great, another person is walking up, and I get to be an ambassador of a God who did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I get to be that representative. And so if there's anybody that would make you uncomfortable as they walk up the door, you need to check your heart and wonder Am I really in line with what God wants from me? Because God cares about all people, whether I like it or not. And if people who make you uncomfortable ever stop walking up to our doors, we have a problem. We haven't fixed anything. We should constantly be pushed to the edges of who we're comfortable with walking in here. We should constantly be pushed to the edges of that. Because God cares about all people, whether we like it or not. He wants all people to be invited in. He wants all people to be reconciled to himself. And we get to be his ambassadors in the world. So if God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, we better not leave these doors representing Jesus in a condemning way. Because God didn't send his son to condemn the world. He's not sending his people to condemn the world. He is sending his people to be representatives of his unending grace. Jonah knew what kind of God he served. He knew 
that the Ninevites would be saved, and he didn't want it. And so the gut check for us is, who are we not sure that we want saved? Who are we not sure that we want God to work in a miraculous way in their life? That's why Jesus says in in John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If we walk and we tell the truth in a way that is loving and, and humble and we go up to people that are dissimilar from us and we begin to learn from them and try to find the image of God in them, we will be better for it by going to uncomfortable situations, by going to people that make us uncomfortable and wondering, how can I see the image of God in these people? Because this is how they'll know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And I wonder sometimes in this room, is there a rumor or a broken relationship or a thing that happened years ago? And yeah, I go to church with that person, but we don't really talk anymore. Because if there's any of that in the room, that needs to go away too. If there's people in this room that make you uncomfortable because of something that happened, forgiveness needs to be the thing that comes up. Reconciliation needs to be the thing that comes up. We're drawn together, not separated. We're pulled, united under what Jesus has done for us. And can we, as we leave this place, remember something that Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says this, This saying is trust, trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Now it's possible that Paul is bragging about how good of a sinner he is. It's possible that he just wanted us to know that he is a great sinner. Nobody's going to beat him at sinning. He does it. He takes the cake. But I think that most likely it's written this way because you can't say it out loud without including yourself. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst. I am the worst. I, Adam Leopard, I am the worst. And if God can save me from what he saved me from, he can surely save you from what he needs to save you from. Because I'm the worst. And he did an unbelievable work of salvation in my life, and so he can definitely work in your life. No, I know, your past, I get it, but he can work in your life. I know what's going on in your life, that's why He can work in your life because I'm the worst sinner, and he saved me in an unbelievable way. And so he can save you too. As we leave this place, can we remember and courageously live out the truth that God cares about all people, whether we like it or not? Will you pray with me? God, we are blown away by your grace. Help us to never shrink this gift that was supposed to be limitless. Help us to never put your unending love in a box that fits our perspective on the world. Help us to see all people the way that you see people. Help us to, to understand what you want from us, to send us out of this place. Not to condemn the world, but to tell the world of your son who has salvation. Give us the courage step into complicated scenarios with grace upon grace. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.